Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, it's a 2022 year in review. As Brett sits down with sports personality, Rich Herrera, and they break down the biggest Major League Sports stories of 2022. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, we're going to take a look back at the biggest stories from 2022. Let me bring in our executive producer, Rich Herrera. He's going to help with that. Rich, welcome to the program. How you doing? I'm great, Booney. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to all of our listeners as we take a look back at the year 2022 in Major League Baseball. So... I got nine stories I want to bounce off you, Brett. You ready to go? I probably got nine answers. Some you may, uh, you may, may. agree with. So maybe maybe some you, you may not agree with. I yeah. might throw I might throw in a curveball at you. So I say nine. You foul one off. We might have to go ten. You got it. All right. Let's start with I think these are nine interesting stories from the season of Major League Baseball in the year 2022 as we head into 2023. Let's start with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Artie Moreno, arguably one of the most popular owners in Major League Baseball, he bought this franchise years ago for $184 million. And if you remember his opening press conference, he goes, you know, can I lower the price of beer? It endeared him to fans and made him one of the favorite owners around Major League Baseball. Well, after another lost season of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, he says, you know what, maybe it's time for me to turn the TV over, uh, turn the team over to somebody else. They're up for sale. The asking price reportedly is $2 billion after his $184 million investment. There's so many different twists to this one, Brett. What happens to the team? Uh, what happens to Otani? What happens to Trout? And how much is baseball going to miss kind of a blue-collar owner like Artie Moreno? Yeah, I remember when Artie Moreno bought the bought the Angels. And, uh, you know, it, it, he turned that franchise around. It He turned it into a different, uh, you know, originally they were the Anaheim Angels, the California Angels. Now they're the L.A. Angels. Um, Disney came in and it, and it became a different look, you know, during my my era, the early 2000s. Man, I loved going to Anaheim. And I remember too. correct me if I'm wrong, Rich, I think when Artie came in, the, the big expectation was, oh, Artie Marino is going to be the uh, George Steinbrenner of the West Coast. And uh, you saw that a little bit in the early 2000s. They had some real formidable teams. Great in that AL West. They won the 2002 uh, World Series. And uh, I have nothing but fond memories. By the way, it was my favorite stadium to play in. Out of all the stadiums I loved, you know, I loved Safeco, now T-Mobile Park in Seattle. Obviously, I, I, I was there for years. I loved going to the to the classic venues. Yankee Stadium is tough to beat. Boston, Wrigley. But when it came down to it, Rich, you put a gun to my head, said, you need to get some hits this series, send me to Anaheim. So uh, <clears throat> it's going to be interesting what happens with that ball club. 
you mentioned at the top 184 million he paid for. That's just telling you where we're going money wise in sports franchises and the amount of of equity they do have coming in. Revenues are 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 rising every year. I think that's why you're seeing the players make so much money. Two billion, I think. You know, all in all, if you look around sports uh, and the franchises franchises as a whole, football, basketball, baseball, I don't think he's out of line asking for that. So it's going to be a pretty good payday for him. I'm sure, you know, the new the new ownerships uh, in Major League Baseball and, and what comes to mind is the Mets Cohen. He came in and he just kind of, you know, that kind of money, guys, they can put up two billion dollars uh, and, and they see a big revenue stream coming in. Uh, I think whoever the new owner is, you're going to see him whip out because, you know, I, I think they're correct me if I'm wrong. Are they considered a small market franchise the the uh la angels well they're not they're not thrown they're, out there if, with if the they yankees. are it's, it's kind of fake right right they're not thrown big... out there with the yankees and the dodgers as those huge mega clubs but you know it's los angeles you make some money you're gonna play second fiddle to the dodgers the angels always have uh for their entire existence but you also have a real estate deal that's going to be able to be made because the angels are looking for a new stadium so there's a lot of upside to it but here's my big thing what happens to Shohei Otani? He could have gone anywhere to play. Everybody thought, oh, natural pipeline, sent him to Seattle, San Francisco. Now that Otani is uh, getting a couple years in the league, does this mean that we'll see Otani's son leaving Anaheim because we might not know who the new ownership is? I think that's a possibility. And and Shohei Otani, we've watched him the last couple of years, and and you know is, you know my my thoughts on it. One of probably the most remarkable thing I, I've seen in the game of baseball, to be able to do that, be a two way player. I never thought was possible. Uh, he's done it at an all star level for two straight seasons. You know how long can you keep that up? My thing is from Ot- an Otani standpoint. If I'm an owner, if I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna sign this guy. How long can you keep that up, that two-way? It's almost like we're watching a movie. It's like there's no way he can keep doing this, right? Well, he's done it for two years now. So that's going to be the tricky part. I I think you're going to see a contract with Otani that we've never seen before. I think people are going to have to get uh, really creative in how they actually write the contract. Because if you just look at him, he's an all-star pitcher. He's a number one starter. And he's the middle of your lineup guy that's probably going to hit 30 to 40 home runs annually. Uh, we've never seen anything like it. So what is the pay? Is it, is it 30 million for each? So does he sign a 60 million a year? So you see what I'm saying? There's going to be some hesitancy from the majority of baseball paying that kind of money for one player. I guarantee there's going to be a few franchises uh, that are up to the task and are going to be, uh, you know, chomping at the bit to get their hands on Otani. I don't know. It, it, that's going to be that's going to be a year from now. We're going to be talking about that. Well, he'll probably be signed a year from now. But I think uh, it's going to be interesting going forward. As far as Mike Trout, he's the face of that franchise. Has been for a long time. Has been probably the best player in baseball when healthy for the for the better part of the last decade. Uh, that's the interesting one to me. How much longer does Trout go? Uh, without winning before he gets a little bit, you know, squirmy and wants to go out there. You know, he's in the middle of his career right now, but uh, players, especially of that magnitude, you know, when I think of a Griffey or, or a Bonds, uh, he's that type of player. Uh, how much longer do you, do you put up with coming in third and fourth place? So it's going to be interesting. The sale, what happens, uh, what new management 
coming in does? How, how, how aggressive are they? Uh, do they make Mike, Tr- Mike Trout happy? Because I, I think with the Otani story and how great it's been, it's been unbelievable. Mike Trout's still the face of that organization. So it's going to be interesting uh, to see what happens going forward. Okay. Well, how about this for story number eight? Uh, a friend of ours, someone we've had on the podcast, somebody that, that I know and that you know, Fred McGriff finally, after all these years, is going to Cooperstown. Reaction. This should have happened years ago. You know, I've done a lot of thinking about the the Hall of Fame. I have definitely have my uh, negative points about the Hall of Fame. I think it's there's so many great, great players that are not the Hall of Fame. And it's for biases. It's for the people that vote and and what they form in their head uh, of who should be in, who who should not be in the steroid. That's a completely different uh, topic. but, but, But it's almost like people take the vote. Uh, deciding in their in their mind, did he take steroids or didn't he? You know, kind of playing God, and I don't think you can do that. You know, it is what it is. You've got to take that whole generation as a whole, put it into one basket, and say everybody did or everybody didn't. You can't pick and choose. It's ridiculous. Um, that being said, Freddie, one of the true class acts uh, of my generation, and I think too, I think the Hall of Fame criteria criteria is going to change uh, because we judge these current players differently than we judged players of the past. Obviously in the past, it was, what was it? It was 3000 hits. That was an automatic hall of fame bid 500 home runs. That was automatic. It's not like that anymore, but I think the guys that were judged on that, uh, that's how they get in the Hall of Fame. Freddie McGriff is a 284 career hitter. He hit 493 homers, drove in over 1500 runs. That gets you there. It's not the magic 500 number, but that's enough to get you there. And here's how flawed I think the Hall of Fame is. We just we just uh, inducted Freddie McGriff into the Hall of Fame. He got voted come. and he'll be inducted this summer. Correct. Oh, you know what I'm saying. Come on, right. Rich. You're being picky now. All right. But <clears throat> I look at a guy that I played against who is kind of a peer of Freddie McGriff when it comes to numbers. Carlos Delgado. He hit 280 with 473 home runs, drove in 1,512 runs, was a major run producer uh, for his entire career. I believe he played 16 or 17 years. He didn't even get to the second ballot. He didn't even get 5% of the vote. So everybody's him and hawing. Oh, Freddie, why did it take so long? He should have been a long time ago. But Carlos Delgado doesn't even get to the second bout. That tells you how flawed our system is. And, and now, I'm now I'll tell overwhelmingly you happy you, for McGriff. Go ahead. I'll tell you this. So I posed that question before to the late Mel Anthony. You remember Mel from USA yes, Today? He goes, I do. hey, listen, if you got a problem with that, then go talk to the Hall of Fame. They're the one who would they're the ones who entrust the writers and say, you guys are the ones decide going to Cooperstown. So is it the writers is the Hall of Fame that needs to change? I think it's a combination because the Hall of Fame is the people's. They want to go see the great players, you know, and, and I think the, the baseball, especially it's so stingy. You see the other Hall of Fames and the football Hall of Fame. It's like it seems like three, four or five guys are going in every year. The baseball standard voting. Uh, you know, which is the guys eligible up to 10 years on the ballot year after year. It's like we get one guy in some years, zero. Well, which it's, is which it's is, absolutely what, absurd. Well, which would you rather have? Where, where's the line in your mind 
of what is truly Valhalla baseball, the elite, the greatest of the greats to ever play that belong in the same sentences, Mickey Mantle, Ted Williams, and Willie Mays. And where are the guys that are almost that good, but they're not quite Babe Ruth? Well, I, I mean, there's only one guy that I put with Babe Ruth, and that's Barry Bonds. It's the only one that's really comparable. So take those guys off the table there. And, and by the way, Bonds isn't in. It's a, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Uh, so take Bonds and Ruth because they're kind of the cream of the crop. You know, Babe, obviously, it's 100 years ago, but he dominated his era. You know, he was hitting more home runs than than teams combined. That's dominating your era. I think the criteria for the Hall of Fame, Brett Boone's criteria. Yes. You need to dominate your position for a period of time. What What is that period? I don't know. I, I, I stick to second base because that's that's my wheelhouse. And I look at the great second base. Robbie Alomar, he dominated second base for the era of the 90s. He was the top guy. That's a Hall of Famer to me. You know, a, a guy I have a problem with that's not in, not even getting close to enough votes is Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent dominated his position. He has the most home runs in the history of the position. He drove in a ton of runs. He was a 290 career hitter. He was a fair fielder. Decent. Uh, you know, everybody gives Jeff Kent the uh, the knock of, oh, he's a terrible second baseman. I'll tell you what, I watched Jeff Kent. He went from third base to second base. He wasn't terrible. He was efficient. He got the job done. He turned two very well. Yeah, he wasn't Robbie Alomar defensively, but he was sufficient. And offensively, he exceeded that. He dominated long enough for me. He was a top second baseman offensively for probably better of seven, eight, nine years. That's an example right there. It's kind of a Carlos Delgado example. It's ridiculous. Okay, so is is that an example of, in his era, uh, were second baseman known for offense the way he put up numbers? Well, I, well, I don't know about that. I bet I look at I, I, at that time. Yeah, but I look at it. Ryan Sandberg's in first right. ballot. Why? You know, you you can't you can't sit here all star games. That's a different thing. You know, some guys are fifteen time all star. Well, if you really break it down and look at their career, they probably should be seven eight time all stars. Some guys. Are three, four-time All-Stars? Really, when you break it down, should have been six, seven-time All-Stars. You know, that's one thing my dad told me early in my career. I remember the first All-Star game, and I should have, I should the first All-Star game I should have made, and I came up short, and I was talking to my dad, and I never said anything publicly. But I told my dad, I said, man, how do I not make the All-Star? You know, kind of a kid crying to his dad. And I remember dad telling me, he goes, Brett, you just play this game to the best of your ability, put the numbers up, and that's all you can do. The rest is out of your control. Yeah. And I learned that. I I said, you know, I don't expect anything. I do the best I can. And when the awards come, they come. You never played this game for the awards. I played it for the respect of my teammates to know that I went out there from seven to 10 every night, gave it all I had. I did it for the fans. And uh, and don't get me wrong. Winning gold gloves, winning silver sluggers. That's that's fun. And that's really cool. And when I got those calls, believe me, I was very excited. But I learned at an early age. uh, He said, life isn't fair. You know, some guys win stuff that they shouldn't win. And some guys you got to. You, you got to do double to get the same award. So I took that to heart early in my career. I, I, I never expected anything. And and when I did win the awards that I won, the few awards that I won, uh, 
you know, I, w- I was very, I was honored and, and it was great, but I realized early it's, it's out of your control. I look at, uh, at Jeff Kent or a Delgado. It's they gotta be sitting home going, wow, I, I was pretty good. You know, Jeff Kent's sitting at home right now. Go, I hit more home runs than anyone that's ever played the position. And he's probably not going to get in the Hall of Fame. That's that's a head scratcher, right? Well, there. how about how about? And it's not like he now, hit two twenty four, right? I, I think his career is around two ninety, upper upper echelon. So uh, that to me is silly, and that's what makes uh, the Hall of Fame silly to me is, is the fact that they negate guys like that, and they always talk about, oh, he wasn't good to the press. Who gives a shit? You know, as long as he comes, he's a professional and he does his job. If if the press didn't like him, who cares? I'll tell you what, Steve Carlton wasn't very good to the press either, was he? He's well, one of the you, greatest pitchers of all fact, time. Do you appreciate the fact that we have these secondary opportunities? I really the, do. If the media swings and misses uh, for the baseball writers, that they that they get another opportunity, like our friend Fred McGriff. I really do. I think it's great because Freddie should have been in years ago. And and I think you're seeing that, you know, I think that's a great improvement to the Hall of Fame to have these special committees. You know, there's guys that the Veterans Committee, who we, what we've had in place for years, I think it's great because when the dust settles and, and clear minds prevail years later and, and you take a uh, you take a, a peer group of uh, whatever era or generation somebody's getting inducted in and, and you walk it through and go, you know, we missed a, we missed the mark here. This guy was better than we thought he was. And you give him a second opportunity. You know, Jim Cott got to go in uh, recently. It, it's, it's good. I think they're feel good stories. I think they're great. And uh, you know, adding this, this, this committee that just uh, chose Fred McGriff, I think it's a great thing for the game, a great thing for the hall of fame. Cause like I said, when when fathers and grandfathers take their kids to the Hall of Fame, they want to see those great players they they grew up watching and not just, oh, well, he's not in for this reason or that. reason. I don't care. He's a great player. That's what I want to see. OK, well, let me ask you this. Then. Let me make it personal for you, because I've been with you and people have asked you this question. And I think your explanation on it is pretty good because people ask you, hey, Brett, do you think you'll ever get uh, any recognition or, or anybody talking about you? Because there were times where you were dominant. You have some gold gloves. You have some silver sluggers. You hit a lot of home runs. How do you respond when somebody asks you about your opportunity? And do you deserve to be considered for the Hall of Fame? I think that's the ultimate tough question when you're talking about yourself. Because we all have pride as big league players. And and uh, I look at my career as a whole. And, and I try to put myself and be as non-biased as I could. All right, I'm on the committee. I'm voting. Brett Boone's up. I look at my seasons and I had some MVP caliber seasons, man. You look at my bubblegum card. It's up and down. There's more up and down arrows than, than most people. Uh, I had some really tough years. I had some good years and I had some MVP type seasons. If I've got to make that vote, I'm sitting on the fence. You know, I've got over a thousand RBIs. I got over 250 home runs. Uh, yeah, I've got gold gloves. I got silver sluggers, but if I've got to make the vote, I hate to say it, rich, I quite didn't make it because I needed, I think, a year and a half more of dominating the position. If I would have had a year and a half more of that high level driving in 120 runs, uh, hitting around 300, hitting 25, 30 home runs, if I'd had a year and a half more, I think we're having a different conversation right now. But if I have to vote right now on Brett Boone, 
I'm going to say I came up a little bit short. I hate to say that because I do have an ego, but uh, that that would be my vote. Okay, that's story number eight of the season. How about this? Story number seven. Another guest we've had on the Boom Podcast, Albert Pujols. Hangs him up, steps away, retires from the game. I love Albert Pujols. Uh, Man, what a career. You know, I know the Angels side of it wasn't the St. Louis side of it, uh, statistically. But he's the one guy that when you – if you Google Albert Pujols, uh, the only guy – that is comparable really to him, I think, is a Henry Aaron. You look at Henry Aaron's numbers and, and take the base running you know, away from it. I'm talking offensive side of the ball. He's the only guy that has those kind of freaky numbers. He had three, 3,384 hits. He had 686 doubles. He had 703 homers. 2218 for the RBIs, almost 2,000 runs scored, 296 career. He's one of three people to have 700 homers. 2218 RBIs. That, that do you realize how absurd that is to to a big league player to tell him 2218? I can't even fathom that. It's so many runs that he drove in. One of the true greats, top ten all time, uh, and the way he finished in St. Louis. Uh, he hit 24 home runs at, at 40 years old, and it came out of nowhere. Uh, he was he he was in L.A. He was in Anaheim, Anaheim for years. He went to L.A. Uh, he was kind of the feel good story. His last year, he gets traded to St. Louis, and I don't know what happened there. Maybe it was just coming back to the old stomping grounds. That fan base, kind of kind of Albert Pujols' home. And the way he brought it down, I remember uh, my son saying to me, hey, Dad, do you think he's going to get 700 home runs? And I said, absolutely not. Do you know how hard it is to hit that many home runs at that age? Uh, your legs are gone. You've been playing for 20 years. It's virtually impossible. And it seemed like every night I'd look up and my, my son would say, hey, Albert hit another one. And I said, yeah, yeah, but he's not going to get there. But it kept coming. He played like an absolute all-star. Throw age out. He was the all-star uh, DH of the second half, and he ends up with 24, 703 home runs. I don't think you could end a career any better. Coming back to St. Louis where it all started, where his first 10 years were probably as good as anybody's first 10 years in the history of baseball. Coming home and performing the way he did on a playoff caliber team, uh, I don't think you could write a better script. First fellow Hall of Famer? Without a... Uh, that's not even a question, of course. It's... Listen, I'm a member of the media. I was going to ask you a clown it's question. It's not even, it's a, it's a clown question, bro. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> uh, give me your thoughts on the new Mets owner, Steve Cohen, and the spending spree outspending the New York Yankees. Well, I'll tell you what, if I'm a player, I love Cohen. And, and if, even if you're a player not on the Mets, uh, he's raised the bar. I look at that Mets team. Um, You've got Scherzer, you've got Verlander, you've got the kid uh, Senga coming over from Japan. That is a as formidable one, two, three. Is there? Well, Senga's still got to to prove himself a little bit, but I think back to two thousand one and that and that Randy Johnson Schilling combo, and it was unbeatable. And the Arizona Diamondbacks won the World Series. I look at a Verlander Scherzer as that type, with the caveat being this. These are two first ballot Hall of Famers, still two of the best in the game, but both around 40 years old. 
are they going to hold up over another season? When does that father time creep in for each and every one of us? Is it this year? It could be any time. So I, I'm a little worried for them at, at those two great pitchers at the top just because of their age and because life doesn't go on at, you know, performing at the top forever. That's going to be interesting. Senga, I heard, is something uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, Buck Showalter at the helm. Uh, what amazes me is he, he just blasted through that ceiling, that, that luxury tax. And he's at $384 million right now. The luxury tax on a $384 million bill in 2023 for Major League Baseball, he's going to owe $111 million just for breaking through. So we're at 495. That that's unbelievable. It's never been seen before. No one's ever gone over the luxury tax threshold like he has, but uh he's kind of uh, George Steinbrenner plus when it comes to spending. You know, George was known for going out and get the players he wanted to try to win. That's the one thing Cohen wants to win. And and the ultimate the ultimate for a player is having an owner that doesn't care. The bottom line is just win. That's all I want to do. That's a dream for a player sitting in that Mets clubhouse and probably for Buck Showalter. You know, it adds a little pressure when you have that kind of kind of payroll, like you better win. Uh, and as we know in, in this game, nothing's guaranteed. Just because you spend $500 million doesn't guarantee you a World Series championship. You know, health comes into play. A lot of variables are out there. Injuries, uh, to the position players, but they're pretty darn stacked. I, I was checking them out before we talked this, this afternoon. And, and uh, you know, with that Korea contract. Uh, and we're going to get to that pending. in just a second. Right, right. I mean, they're, it, it's unbelievable. It, you okay, know, they, so let me ask you this then. On a scale of 1 to 10, Brett, how confident are you the Mets will be there and the Mets fans need to make sure they buy their season tickets so they have the opportunity to buy World Series tickets. Scale of 1 to 10. Five. It's a lot of money to spend for a five. Well, I, I know the game and I know nothing's guaranteed. And I look around that division. The Phillies are getting better. That's a tough division. You got right. guys beating up on each other. Cardinals uh, or no, not the Cardinals. Uh, Braves. Right. Braves. You know, you're taking the Braves lightly. You know, they've been there two straight seasons. They're two years away from from a World Series champion themselves. Uh, that's a tough division. So so nothing's guaranteed. I don't care how much money you spend. Yeah, you got a great team. A lot of ifs, a lot of age factor. I keep going back to that. That's really important. So, yeah, I'll make it simple for you. Five. And, and that's I'm not saying get to the playoffs. I'm talking you're talking about World Series for these fans. Five. Uh, let's move on to our next story. These are two odd stories I wanted to bring up. Uh, someone we've had on the podcast before, Trevor Bauer, reinstated, wants to come back. Uh, there's there's grumblings that some guys in the clubhouse don't want Bauer back in the Dodger clubhouse. Fernando Tatis will come back at some point during the season, and he's got some bridges to repair. Give me your thoughts. Uh, Trevor Bauer. Real interesting, um, you know, because I'm not here to be the moral police and, and say what is what is right, what is wrong in, in somebody's private life. I, I everything coming out and what you're seeing is. Uh, nothing has been no charges have been have been dealt to Trevor Bauer. He, he's kind of been at every turn. Uh, the charges have been dropped. 
And, and you know, there were a lot of people doing a lot of uh, a lot of investigating of this particular case. Uh, it's tough when you're in the position that Trevor Bauer was in you know, high profile, uh, big personality uh, guys wanting to take him down. Um, but at every turn, uh, there were never any charges filed. They were all dropped. And and to think that if this man's completely innocent of everything that's gone on and he was set up. Uh, to think what this has done to his reputation and his livelihood, which is which is throwing a baseball. Uh, it's very sad to me. The fact that they did this in-depth, uh, long-standing investigation came up with nothing, reinstated him after, I believe, 194 games. I'm happy for Trevor Bauer, and uh, he's going to be chomping at the bit. And, and I think whoever reaches out and, and signs him, because somebody will sign him, uh, I think he's got a lot to prove. You know, he's got uh, a lot to show that he's not the guy that he was portrayed in the media. It's going to be interesting. But uh, when you're innocent, man, I'm glad they reinstated and I'm glad he's going to get back to doing what he does pitch. And Fernando Tatis is going to have to make some amends in his clubhouse. <laughs> Fernando Tatis is a different thing for me. You know, I'm a big fan of his talent, his skill set. Uh, I have a little bit of grace for Fernando Tatis because of the age he is. He's a young man. He got a lot thrown at him at a very young age of 21. Um, you know, he's kind of this rock star personality. He's got the hair. He's got the look. He was kind of becoming the the uh, poster child for, for Major League Baseball and definitely had the skill set to back it up. But when you're that young and you get that much thrown at you and you are the guy and uh, they give you a $300 million contract, um, there's probably going to be some some hiccups along the way. I think what happened to him is he went home in the off season. He's he's a kid. He's still a kid. He hasn't he doesn't have that life experience. You know, I don't expect him to think like a 35 year old mature MLB vet. Uh, he, he rode a motorcycle in his mind. I know what it's like to be 21. I'll never get hurt. I'm Superman. He got hurt. And all of a sudden, that's a big deal when you're when you're the face of Major League Baseball gets hurt doing something they're not supposed to be doing. It's right there in your contract. You're not allowed to ride dirt bikes. If you read that contract, it's funny. You're not allowed to do anything. You're not allowed to play racquetball. You're not allowed to do anything. Um, but he knew that was a no-no. And, and I think he, he thought, you know, my injury here, it'll be fine by spring training. And it wasn't. And whatever he took uh, to, to, to hurry up that healing process was still in his system and he got caught. I don't like the way he he uh, answered the bell when when, you know, when when he had the positive test, he went to the microphone and he blamed it on a ringworm situation in that situation. The best thing Fernando Tatis could do. And the thing that matters most is the guys in that clubhouse, the 25 teammates of his. He needs to be upfront, honest, make amends. He needs a lot of growing. I hopefully he did a lot of growing up this offseason. And when he does get to play again, he's ready. And the most important thing is having the 25 guys in that room have your back. The, the people are pretty forgiving. I, I've watched this country for a long time. They're pretty forgiving when you come out and you play really well. And I think if, if Fernando Tatis can do some growing up, some maturing, make amends with his teammates, play like he's capable of playing, this will be a footnote five years from now. If he doesn't, uh, it, there could be a lot of problems that follow him, but I'm hoping he does that because he truly is one of the talents of the game.
And, and, you know, Rich, I, I don't throw out names and comparisons to young players too often, but I've watched him enough. Now he kind of is an Alex Rodriguez talent, which is a once in a lifetime. So uh, I, I'd like to see him come back healthy, see what he can do. I, I laugh a little bit that they say, Oh, he's going to play left field. And I think here's a, here's a 22 year old, probably top three talent in the game. And he's a shortstop. I don't know that he's going to be okay with just going and playing left field. So that'll shake out. He's got a great skipper at the top, Bob Melvin, uh, that's been there, done that. He's got a lot of experience. He's, he's got a real soft way about him, and, and he'll do the right thing. But I'm interested to see how this whole Fernando Tatis and the San Diego Padres things works out. All right, next story that I wanted to bring up to you. We'll go back to the Dodgers, Trevor Bauer. We'll find out whether he'll be welcome back in, in Los Angeles or not. But – one thing we got to bring up Dodgers amazing season 111 wins dominating but they come up short in the playoffs um how much pressure on Doc Roberts and Andrew Friedman going into next season we've had Dave Roberts on the podcast before um the Dodgers that's a lot of money spent and not much to show for it after this season yeah um but that's why I gave the Mets a five I know how hard it is. It doesn't matter how good you are, how good your team. I was on a 116 win team that didn't win the World Series. You know, you look at the Dodgers last year, 111 wins. Of course, they're going to the World Series, right? No, this is not on paper. If 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 I could predict everything on paper, this would be easy. You know, I'd, I'd go sit in Vegas and, and win every game. Uh, Dodgers are interesting to me, the way they kind of stood pat this offseason. You know, and you lost a few guys, familiar faces with that organization. Uh, Trey Turner, one of the great players of the game, went to Philly. Uh, Justin Turner, who who is a real important part of that Dodger team. You know, he was kind of the rock. He was kind of the guy that made that team run. And and what a great career he had with the L.A. Dodgers. He's gone. Bellinger, young star, won an MVP. Kind of numbers fell off the fell off the radar the last couple of years and really struggled. He's going to the Cubs. You still have Mookie Betts. You know, you still got Freeman. You still got Will Smith, one of the best catchers, Muncie. Uh, and I look at that that rotation. Urias, one of my favorite guys. He's going to be at the top of the rotation. You signed Kershaw back for another year, still proving that he's a top guy. Gonsolin had a great year. The key to that, the key to that uh Rotation is Walker Bueller coming off uh, that injury. He had the surgery. He's going to be coming back. So that's great. They've got a, still got a great bullpen, but it was really interesting. We're used to the Dodgers in the offseason be real active and in, in adding to that team. Uh, when, when you're that great of a team, you really don't have to add any. And they actually subtracted this year a little bit. It's going to be interesting what they do. They're still going to be a great team. I expect them to go deep in the playoffs again. Okay, next story to talk about. Carlos Correa still unsigned. This is a drama unto itself. It'll probably be a Netflix special one day. Interesting. I've never seen anything like it. You know, he goes to San Francisco, and and I think there were some people thinking, oh, the, the Giants got cold feet at the last minute, $350 million. Come to find out, they didn't have cold feet. There's something in that, in that uh, physical that we, the public, don't know about. You know, it's speculated it's his lower leg. Uh, who knows? But it's something that that's dragging this out. And he went from three hundred and fifty million, I think, down to three hundred and fifteen million. Uh, not a huge difference, but that's still thirty five million dollars off the table for failing a physical. I couldn't imagine being in his shoes right now. You know, Correa, one of the one of the great shortstops of today's game. 
uh, sitting there with $300 million at risk right now, whether the Mets okay his physical. The question to me is if the Mets decline it and say, we can't go forward with this physical, what does a Carlos Correa do? I, I think it's maybe sign a one-year deal and go play like hell and prove to everybody, hey, my leg isn't an issue, and then do this whole process again. Uh, really interesting. And for me as the player, knowing I got $300 million on the table, and, and it could be gone because of this physical. Uh, it's it's going to be really interesting how that turns out. I think it's probably going to get worked out in the long run. It's been going on for a while now. We know that Cohen, is he wants to do what he wants to do. He's, he was real proud to announce that signing and, and to his fan base, and, and they're excited about it. So I think there's pressure on both sides, but really interesting to see how this story uh, works out in the long run. Number two. Aaron Judge and the season he had in New York and then watching him re-sign with your brother's team after all the consternation that he's going to San Francisco, which lasted uh, seven minutes. <laughs> he was a giant and then he finally decides, nope, indeed, I'm going back to the New York Yankees. Well, this was something for me that was done before it was done. I, and the way it the way it played out uh I even have more respect for Aaron Judge. Not only is he a great player, great ambassador for the game of baseball, um, but he's a great negotiator, too. <laughs> I mean, he played this out like nobody else is, uh, I've ever seen. He just went, he went quiet, you know, and, and uh, took a big risk last year. I believe he had 200 and some million guaranteed to him. He turned that down. He bet on himself. Uh, everybody knows he went out and hit the 62 home runs, which is impressive. Uh when, when all that's on the line, but the way he handled himself, he, you can just tell he, he's Jeter-esque. He's out of that, that cloth. He just knows with all the pressure, he's proven, first of all, he can handle being in the Big Apple, being the main guy on the New York Yankees, which is one of the biggest responsibility probably in all of sports. But then the way he handled it, professional, it seems like teammates love him. The fans love him. Management loves him. He did everything right. And then he went out this offseason and said, because I turned that down, bet on myself, I'm going to play out this, this free agency thing. He went to San Francisco. Uh, it was rumored that he was offered uh, the similar contract that he was with the New York Yankees. And uh, I'll share this with the, with, the, with the audience out there on the podcast today. You know, I was sitting with my brother the night before he signed. And uh, Aaron was had that worried look on his face and, and I was laughing at him. I said, do you really think Aaron Judge is going to sign with the San Francisco Giants? And he goes, well, we haven't heard from him. He's kind of gone dark. I said, well, let me tell you this. If you, it, it, when you hit home runs the other way as a right hander, the last place on earth you sign with is the San Francisco Giants. That's the most ridiculous opposite field home run wall, even for the six, eight. Aaron Judge. First, right off the top, take 15 home runs a year. Yankee Stadium versus versus uh, the, the ballpark. Oracle Park. Oracle Park up there in San Francisco. Take 15 home runs right off the top. And everybody, oh, well, he already got paid. No. Us as athletes, we have egos. We still want to put up the numbers. Just because we made a, you know, we signed a contract, that doesn't mean we quit playing. We still want to be the best. We still want to be an all-star every year. We do our best. And I said, did Derek Jeter, I said this to Aaron, I said, how did Derek Jeter do in his career? Well, pretty good. 
was he pretty good PR wise? Can he do any? He's got the key to to the city of New York. I said, you don't walk away from stuff like that to be the captain of the Yankees, the best player on the team to have a great career with the New York Yankees. Uh, that's your ticket for the rest of your life. And, and lo and behold, if you win a championship, that just adds to it. Uh, you walk around New York uh, to your dying days and, and you'll have carte blanche. That's something you don't turn down. And uh, I, I never thought for a second that Aaron Judge was going to play anywhere but New York. Uh, he played it out well. He, he made himself $150 million in one season. Uh, like I said, the price being in the low 200s to signing that contract with the, with the New York Yankees. He's going to be there for the rest of his career. I think it's great for New York, obviously, the fans there. But uh, as an outsider, I looked at it and I never, I never thought it would be anything different. All right. The biggest story of the year for me was someone who's coming up on our podcast. And that is Dusty Baker finally gets his ring as the manager, as the Astros win the World Series. Dusty Baker, a guy I've always had the utmost respect for. I loved him. and, And he's one of those guys that everybody loves. And, and those guys, you, they're hard to figure out. They're born that way. But never have I heard a negative word about him from anybody. Never have I heard a critique. Guys that played with him, uh, guys that played for him, guys that played against him. I was in that category. I've never played with him. <laughs> I've never played for him, but I played against him a lot. And he has that unbelievable ability to make you feel like you've been buddies for 30 years. And, and it's just walking onto the field. I'm in my early days at Candlestick and Dusty looking at me with that, with that toothpick and going, hey, Boney, how you doing? Hey, Dusty. I felt like he was just, uh, you know, kind of a father figure, but at the same time, a, a friend that I knew. And once again, this this past winter meeting, uh, I got a chance to sit down with Dusty for about an hour and we just talked and it just it, it just proved my theory that this is true. I liked him even more. I, I mean, I don't know if I could like him more not knowing him that well than I already did. But I sat down with him for an hour and it just reiterated everything. It's like, nope, this is true. This is Dusty. He's just this lovable guy a good man, a baseball man. He's been there, done everything. He's been to seven World Series as a player and a manager to see him win. And then we, uh, like you mentioned, we have him on the podcast coming up. Uh, it just solidified everything I've ever thought about Dusty. Uh, very excited. I think the world was pulling for him. I think it's the one time when he beat the Yankees after that, the New York fans were pulling for the Astros. Everybody's known what the Astros have gone through recently. He was definitely the guy to come in and take over. Uh, it helped, I think, that he had the best team in the in the in the postseason this year with the with the Houston Astros. But the fact that he came through, won it, uh, I was happy for him. Legend of the game, you know, this guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day, and uh, you know, he's he told me he said I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again. I, I think we're gonna win again next year, so we'll see. Okay, there you go. That's the tease right there, folks. We'll have Dusty on the podcast uh, in the very near future. So. Brett, those are nine stories, but I'm not done yet. Let's go extra innings. You ready? Did I sign up for this? All right, let's go, Rich. Yeah, it's part of your contract that we we can go extra innings on this on this podcast. We can go as long as we want. We won't go that much longer, but I got a couple questions for you. Best television show that you streamed in 2022. Best television show. Okay. Folks, kinda... You might not know this. Brett is a big, big streaming fan. 
It, and it, always finds interesting shows that he passes along to his friends. So pass along to all your friends here on the podcast, your best shows that you were streaming in 2022. Okay. Okay. And now everybody knows out there that streams a lot of shows that there's been with, you know, what we went through in the country and the, or, or the COVID and all that stuff. A lot of these shows got delayed longer than they want. So, all right, this is what, this is on my short list recently. I really have come to enjoy the Yellowstone series. So I'm up to date with Yellowstone. That's one of my favorite. You were late to Yellowstone, weren't you? I was late to Yellowstone, but now I've, I'm all in. I'm on an I'm all in on 1883, which is a precursor. Uh, Tim McGraw plays the current Kevin Costner. That was a great series. Couple that with Yellowstone, which is, you know, current. And now they just came out with a 1923. Who's who's the star of Star Wars? Not Harrison. It's, 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 yeah. it's Harrison. Ford now and, Harrison. Uh, and, and, yeah. Now Harrison Ford is the is the Dutton man of that time. And I've watched two episodes of it. It's great. So the whole Yellowstone trilogy is tremendous. I've got Your Honor coming up, which is a really good one. Uh, that the last uh, two years ago was the first season of that. I think the number one show out there for me, the last two or three years, and, and it's not out this year, but it's coming anytime now is the, the show succession. It's tremendous. I think it's on HBO. I just finished watching white Lotus. Absolutely different than, than these that I've mentioned more of a slapstick yet serious show. Check out White Lotus. It's really good. But uh, those are the ones I'm watching right now. I even started watching the Stallone one, I, I believe. Oh, Tulsa King. Tulsa King. And and I'm a don't get me wrong. I'm a huge Stallone. Who isn't a Stallone fan from all the Rockies? But some of his other work has been like you come away laughing. Like, is that a real you know, is that a real show? Tulsa King. I kind of like it. So it's something I'm watching every Sunday, too. So the best show and it's coming out. And if you haven't seen it, I think this is the third or the fourth season. Succession. It is. What's amazing. that about? It's about kind of the I, I believe it's the Murdoch family. Oh, uh, it's gotcha, a parody. Gotcha, gotcha. It's unbelievable. It's the characters are unbelievable. And and I just love it. So that's my favorite. And I'm really looking forward to it. But the ones I mentioned, those are those are uh, fun ones to watch and you can get them currently. Have you started watching Jack Ryan? I have. I just. Oh, I didn't mention Jack Ryan. Well, yeah. that's because it's not. Um, it's not. It, it's not as near and dear to me as the succession in the Yellowstone trilogy. Just finished the the uh, current version. It just came out recently. I just finished it. I was, you know, I was I was binge watching, but I watched uh, this current season. Really good. Really good. Oh, you they, already finished it. I already finished it. I they just see, started it. Oh, oh yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah, I finished it. I think it's eight episodes. All right. I'll give you one more that yeah. didn't make your list. The Terminalist. Never heard of it. Set in San Don't know Diego. anything about it. Oh, it's about a it's a it's a it's a it's about a Navy SEAL. It's set in San Diego, so about half the stuff is near your house. Okay, what is it called? The Terminalist. Um, All right, I'll put that on the list. That's that's pretty darn good. That's pretty darn good. I think you'll enjoy that one as well. All right, let me get a couple fearless predictions. Give me something we're going to see this year at baseball, uh, and then I got to ask you a Super Bowl question. Okay, what are we going to see in baseball? Give me me some prediction that you think is going to happen in baseball. Okay. Uh, 
And again, folks, I'm just throwing Brent curveballs at this point. I think you're going to see. Wow. That's an interesting one. What am I going to see in baseball? I, all right. I think the Cubs are doing a lot of uh, adding on right now. I think it's going to be for not. I don't think the Cubs are going to do anything. They're going to be the bottom of the barrel again. I think Dusty is going to go to the World Series again. Ooh. Uh, I think the Angels franchise will be sold to a, to a Cohen type type of maybe not Cohen-esque, but somebody like that. That's somebody with be, deep pockets. Yeah, that somebody that's going to be really aggressive. And I think you're going to have a, a World Series champion this year uh, different than the last eight or ten years. All right. I got that. Hey, did you see this note? Keep your eye out on the Phillies. All right, watch out the Phillies. Do you see this note? We're going to have eight Major League Baseball umpires retire. That's a huge, huge swath of umpires. They all came in at the same time. Uh, and I think five of them, or six of them might have been crew chiefs. Yeah. I mean, it's just you're dating me again, Rich. It, for years and years, you know, I'd go to a ballpark and I, I don't go to the stadium that often. But when I I'd take the kids down and, and I'd always run into the umpires and, and I knew them all because they were umpires when I was playing. And it still made me feel like, well, you know, I'm still young. All the all the umpires I know. I started to notice recently uh, going to <laughs> ball games. I'd be looking around. The first thing I do at the beginning of the game is I look to the umpiring crew, and and it was so nice for me. Oh, there's Tommy Hallian. He's still he's still an umpire. I'm not that old yet. But as you said, there's eight umpires retiring. Those are eight guys that were with me. So there's going to be less and less, and, and I'm going to go to that umpire room the next time I go to a ball game, and, and they're going to kind of look at me like, can we help you, sir? When, when it used to be a welcome, an open arm, booty's here. Now it's like, yeah, uh, who are you? <laughs> so it's, it's aging me a little bit, but, um, you know, that's, that's just the turnover. You know, I've watched for years. Albert Pujols has retired. He's gone now, and it's like one of the last guys I played with, you know. So life goes on. It happens. Um, and we'll look forward to the new crews. Okay. Um, one of the things, well, two more things. Now I'm going to let you go and we'll wrap up our, and we'll say our thank yous for 2022 and, and wish everybody happy 2023 all-star game, Seattle. How much are you looking forward to that? That's going to be a lot of fun. You know, uh, I got to go up there and, and drop that banner uh, last in the middle of last season, uh, you know, some advertising for the, for the upcoming all-star. And the last time it was there as, as everybody knows was 2001 when we had that unbelievable run. I think we had eight all-stars that year. Uh, so like I said, I got to get a little taste of it last summer uh, going up there and, and the preparation and see the fans. It's, it helps that the Mariners I think are a formidable team now and, and are going to, uh, be in the playoffs again this year. So that's going to add excitement to the city. But but that city is so great. And and I've said for years and years, if you win in that city, man, those fans will show up and, and it's almost the St. Louis Cardinal type atmosphere. They just haven't won. This is the first time in 20 years they've been in the playoffs. So the fans haven't had anything to be excited about. But get that group in Seattle excited. Uh, it's a rock star atmosphere. Go across and watch a Seahawk game and see what it's like there. And then that's what it's like at, at T-Mobile Park when that team's rocking. So I'm looking forward to be a part of the, the festivities up in Seattle this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, it's always nice when I get to go up in Seattle, my old stomping grounds. It's kind of when players, you know, put themselves with a team. You know, you always have a team that you're kind of known for. You know, I, 
And my team was the Seattle Mariners. My best years were up there. I, I formed a lot of friendships. A lot of people in the front office are still there from when I was playing. So that makes me feel a little bit young. But uh, I, I always enjoy going back to the Northwest. And it's going to be a real exciting summer for the city of Seattle. How many how many All-Stars are on that team? <clears throat> I think eight. Now, don't quote me on that. I'm, I, well, I'm, I wouldn't know. Uh, you know, fact check me. Check. Oh, no, check I, me. No, I think I it's eight. Know. I think it's eight. Yeah, we had eight. I wouldn't know because I was signed when I worked at Fox Sports to interview all eight of the Seattle Mariner All-Stars. Oh, but I didn't get to uh, I know interview all of them. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. yeah, there's one There's one guy that I kept asking over and over. Can I get a minute? Can I get a minute? Can I get a minute? And he never gave me my interview. Who was that? Uh, it was their second baseman. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was I was I was big. I was big. I, I didn't have time for it. Now, come Herrera, on, Rich. Did you get you, Boone on the air with us? Nah, he won't. He won't do an interview. Really? I was like that. She, but he Chris. I know. I, I know. know. I'm just telling knowing, you. Right. Knowing me now, does that really seem possible? <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> I always like to remind him of that. Uh, let me get you your Super Bowl prediction, too, since we're finishing off 2022. And we do have special friends that listen to us in the National Football League, including the Boone Podcast North. Uh, folks in the Boone Podcast uh, Southeast that are contributors <laughs> to the program as well. So what's your prediction for the Super Bowl, Booney? <sighs> I don't know. There's some tough teams out there. Bills uh, can never count out Mahomes. I don't know. This Niner team with this young kid that took over for Garoppolo, I believe his for name Brock is Purdy. I believe his name is Purdy. That defense is unbelievable. I, I got to go to a game about a month ago. I went up and saw uh, the Miami Dolphins uh, versus yeah. the 49ers, 49ers. At, their, at their stadium. And I thought, you know, Tua is going to take it to him. You know, that's when Pur that's when Garoppolo got hurt. Purdy and Purdy's taking over. And I'm thinking, ah, their third string quarterback, uh, Miami's going to trounce them. They ended up winning that game and haven't lost since. They're really excited. I hear the interviews with the with the other players, especially the defensive players. I, I believe that Bosa was at the the mic and he said, you know, they asked him a question like, what do you think? And he said, what do I think? What I think is we got a real quarterback. When talking about Purdy, which is right. pretty big coming from the. the well, I remember, Brett, he was Mr. Relevant. He was the last player taken in the draft. Pretty, pretty cool story Great to watch story. what he's doing. I, to sit here and predict he's going to win the Super Bowl, that would be going on in a limb. But I'll tell you what, they haven't lost in a long time. So well, I, and I, I, I have a I have a little bit of a. You know, you know, I'm not a big fan of of any particular team. Yeah, I have my druthers. I've, of course, I, I'm a Seattle Mariner. Uh, you know, I have some some ties to them. Of course, I, I pull with one with one eye open for my brother at the New York Yankees. Uh, of course, I want USC to win. I'm not a huge fan, but I've kind of been a little bit become a little bit of a fan of the of the 49ers. I loved them in the 80s when they were slinging it, that, that West Coast offense. And, and Steve Young was my favorite quarterback growing up. I just loved watching him. I love watching the Niners. And I've kind of rekindled that now. So I kind of keep my eye on the Niners now. Well, plus we've had John Lynch on the podcast. Yeah. Lynch is a buddy. He's, yeah. Uh, but right, but it, goes, it, goes, on. it goes beyond there, though. It goes beyond that. I like, I just like something about the 49. And maybe it is. Maybe it's back to my young days. Not, not young in that, in that sense. Steve Young days when I was a kid. Usually, uh, you know, usually when I talk to players, what are your what are your favorite memories? 
You know, of course, uh, from a baseball standpoint, I loved my career. Those, those are some fond memories. But some of my greatest memories when I'm a kid and growing up in those the Philadelphia Phillies days. I mean, those are some of my fondest memories. So I'll, I'll, I'll chalk it up to that. Nine, the reason the Niners is because Steve Young and those Niners of the 80s. Um, I think it's because uh, they have the sharpest looking uniforms and their most well put together team in the National Football League. We've had their general manager. We've had more 49ers on lately than anything else. I'm still waiting for my wife to get me my Christian McCaffrey jersey for Christmas. Well, no one lives. You're going to be waiting a long time. <laughs> All right. Hey, we got to wrap everything up here, Booney, on the podcast. Uh, do we, do we want to say some thank yous to, to everybody who's helped make this podcast possible over the last uh, year? Without it, without a doubt, uh, Dan Levy behind the scenes, you know him as the voice of the podcast. He uh, he does he does a lot of the editing. Uh, wonderful job, yeah! I can't thank him enough. And um, we got to we got to give a shout out to Liz, Liz Landry. Uh, Liz Landry has been unbelievable. She's a godsend. She takes it. She loads the podcast. She does our artwork for us. She she makes it go. You know, whenever you got a question, you call Liz. She's been an uh, intricate part of this podcast. And, of course, Rich Herrera, behind the scenes, uh, done a wonderful job. I, I wouldn't be able to do my job without you. So uh, shout out to those three that, that make it go. You know, I th- also think we need to mention Tyler Kepner, who's been such a, a big supporter. And he's come. Wow, Tyler, quite a get, bit. Tyler yeah. getting a get Tyler gets some yeah, love. Ty- we love having Tyler in. Uh for a wrap-up shows that especially the baseball segments going to the the halfway point and we bring tyler in hey you break it down and it's usually boone against kepner and and we have a we've done a little bit of that with sweeney murty as well so shout out to all but you know shout out to all the guests you know we've had some unbelievable guests this past season it's been a lot of fun i've grown i've learned i'm still learning you know this has been an educational process for me this podcast thing but the more i get into it uh uh, the more I'm enjoying it. So, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for, for the whole team and, and uh, the guys that come on and make it possible. All right, well, let me get out of the way. I'm just going to tell everybody, I wish everybody a uh, happy new year and a great 2023. We're going we're gonna to have some big, big changes and some big moves, and this podcast is going to get even bigger and better with all of your help. So I'm going to step out of the way. Bunny, I'll let you wrap everything up. You got it. Uh, yeah, I just want I, I want to thank the fans and, and the people that have come out, support the podcast, listen in, listen uh, week in and week out. Rich teased a little bit that uh, it's going to change up a little bit in 2023. Uh, so that's going to be that's going to be a surprise. It's coming very soon, but it, nothing but good things for the Boom podcast, getting it out there to more venues and, and more listeners. So I'm really excited about the 2023 uh, season coming up on the Boom podcast. Uh, couldn't do it without you uh, listeners out there that listen week in and week out. It's been a lot of fun. Like I said, great process for me, a, a great learning process for me. And it's it's been very humbling, but I'm excited going into 2023. We'll see you on the other side. That's going to wrap it up for the Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, and I'm the technical director, producer, and voice of the Boone Podcast. The executive producer is Rich Herrera. The digital content for the Boone Podcast is provided by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors and friends, and make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, I'm Dan Levy. Thanks for listening.